0: Hello and welcome to part three of My name is Anke Holst and at the age of 19 I joined the Hare Krishnas This is part three and in order to illustrate why and how things got bad. I will talk about my some of my darkest times and I will also talk about some philosophy, the basic philosophy of the Hare Krishnas and why it's so bad for you. This will take, I have decided, this will take the form of a Bhagavad Gita lecture. But I'll tell you some stories first. We're now in 1993. Um, I'm based in Cologne in the temple that we opened and every May and every August uh, we all packed up in our vans and went to the farm that the Hare Krishnas owned there in the Bavarian forest. It's near Passau and it's very much in the corner of where Germany and the Czech Republic meet. I love those festivals. We went uh, for two specific festivals. In One was in May, which was the appearance day of a specific form of Krishna, uh, half man, half lion, which was worshipped there. Very few places in, outside India worshipped that kind of form, and we felt very special for doing that. And in August, it was uh, Krishna's appearance day with uh, Janmashtami, which, of course, is also celebrated uh, with fasting and feasting and everything. And in practice, those festivals meant two things for me. I would see my guru, and uh, which meant being in a, in a somewhere in the back of a hall and listening to a lecture of him. And it meant running around, doing a lot and not sleeping. There was somehow it was full of yeah it was it was full of ecstatic feelings probably because you were so sleep deprived and and the things we did there was usually make some outrageous flower uh, decorations for the altars and and things like that yes and I, i actually the year before i think it was that one of those two festivals, I got initiated, so I now had my spiritual name, which was Anuradha, which I was known by. Of course, in German, it was Anurada, which was funny. Uh, later on in Sweden, it became Anu, and it became Bananuradha, and things like that. But in Germany, nobody would, you know, ridic- ridicule spiritual names like that. They, they were far too holy. Yeah, so, so those festivals were, were kind of what, what kept me going spiritually. And what, in a daily life, I, I was mostly writing to my guru whenever I had a break. I was either listening to lectures or writing a diary to him. And I think I still have it somewhere in one of my boxes, but I'm not sure, sadly. Because that would be mad to read that now. So yeah, I was I was like, in the during the festivals, I was completely hundred percent immersed, and outside of the festivals, I was trying to keep myself a hundred percent immersed in the philosophy. Now let's talk about the philosophy. Uh, there's a Bhagavad Gita verse which I'm going to mention here, which goes in Sanskrit. This is um, chapter 3, text 27, and the translation from the Bhagavad Gita, as it is, by Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada goes something like this. The bewildered spirit soul under the influence of these three modes of material nature, thinks himself to be the doer of activities which are in actuality carried out by nature. Here goes the philosophy. The spirit soul, which is us, is part and parcel of God, but it's a minute part. And currently, in our current position, we have forgotten, which is why we are here in the material nature, suffering from death, disease and all that and whatever enjoyment we're feeling is only illusion and the the fact that we are covered by this material nature is due to our desire to feel enjoyment uh, which we had that in a previous episode uh, which is just the desire to enjoy sex according to this uh, very simplified philosophy, the idea is that we we are eternal servants of Krishna, the personal Krishna, not not some impersonal Brahman, like in some other forms of Hinduism no this is very, very clear on it being personal Krishna, but we are all. And we are that all the time, but we have forgotten. We're covered by the material energy. It is our false ego, like in this verse, the ahankara, which makes us believe that we are this body. And vimudha is means bewildered. So it it it's actually quite a, a quite an offensive word. So like you're an idiot like <laughs> you're just some idiot. So again, it's not just this guy saying it's actually very much in the scriptures that if you don't believe this stuff, then you're an idiot. Yeah, so we have the mind, which according to this, uh, you know, like we have these English words, but we need to always specify what we mean by them because even, you know, mindfulness will means something different. So in this case, the mind is the thing that runs the senses, but which can be conquered by intelligence. So, And the intelligence will do whatever the false ego says, says it. So there's this hierarchy of things which, if you do it right, can, again, according to this philosophy, uh, you can conquer it, and it can, it can, you know, you can clean the mirror of your mind, and 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 then you can see the soul, and you can you can experience the pure bliss of uh, uh, Krishna consciousness. Because all of this is just an illusion, and it's are contaminated by material nature, and it's not just contamination but it's actually your enemy in which if you if you keep listening to it if you keep taking it as truth then you will not succeed in your krishna conscious path so that's why if any feelings that you have are automatically illusion any anything anything you 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 feel anything all the things that normally would keep you from harm, all the things that tell you not, that this is no, this is painful, this is upsetting, this is this is not right. All of this stuff, you now don't believe that anymore, and that's why it's so harmful, and that's why I want to sort of point that out to people that if you if if you go to some you know, the accepting some Hindu philosophy, just leisurely, you know, take some meditation course or something. This is this is what you'll get. This is what you will absorb depending on who teaches you and depending on how much they know. But the the Hare Krishnas have really perfected that in terms of teaching it and, and not just teaching it but actually planting it into your whole psyche so that a lot of people never leave it like they physically leave but they don't leave this stuff and i know that because i was in there and these are the decisions i made so for example when it came came to going to sweden i wasn't even able to think outside of well this is this is clearly what what krishna wants right because the authorities in this in this model of 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 belief, the authority becomes your your spiritual authority. So it's because you don't know what's good for you, because everything that you wish is coming out of your false ego, and it's 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 meant to keep you in the material world. The wishes of the of your authority and your spiritual master become uh, what runs your life. If if you really take this thing to the to to its logical conclusion which i did then that that is what runs your every decision that that is what what runs your life that's why things (laughs) ended up as 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 badly as they did right so just to recap we have the material world which is illusion which is bad we have the society for christian consciousness which offers you the path to follow if you want to clear this Bad things uh away from your for yourself and and you want to experience your actual self again and your krishna conscious self and and you want to conquer and you want to transcend the the different modes of nature which are just there to keep you uh keep you caught in it and you want to do you want to do that that is all you want to do you don't want to do anything else. And so when it came to going to Sweden, doing the, yeah, following instruction, then of course I was doing that. So this was my journey to Sweden. Uh, So this is me. I had been like a full-time member of this thing for three years now. And I wasn't even able to ask for, to get my travel paid. So I packed my bags. I had like two cases and a couple of boxes. And I had just enough money to get me to the ferry from North Germany. I think, I think, I, did I, I don't remember the first part of the journey. But I remember getting on the ferry from Sassnitz to Trelleborg and finding a lorry driver who was going up to Stockholm who who took me and, you know, it's an eight-hour trip and I went with my, cases and boxes and and went on his lorry and he dropped me off somewhere in Stockholm and I called the the Swedish guys they had no idea and then picked me up from somewhere and and took me to took me to the temple and uh, that was my move to Sweden (laughs) Uh, early January 1994 and in Sweden things got very very different very quickly so we're talking about this a publishing house uh, slash temple. This organization was run very differently from our German organizations. The, the boss of the whole thing was a German dude. And I say dude because <laughs> now it's also easy to talk about. But yeah, they had... Again, with the Hare Krishnas, because they are not part of the material world, they don't feel like they are a part of material law either. So wherever they can circumvent the law, they will. So, so this place had officially charity status, I think, but they had a lot of uh, very iffy business dealings. And we all kind of knew that they kept a, a different set of books in a in a in a secret flat that nobody knew where it was. The guy had tried to marry a fourteen-year-old girl before, but was stopped by it by some other people. Yeah, so he was running the thing like a kind of little little dictator. And I came in there. He had he had all his 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 little directors running their little departments and. I came there I was given a room in the, in the in the main house and had to try and find my way through this weird organization where before I was p- pretty much believing that all of this was working for me on some level and I think when I was there in the first couple of months already it was clear to me that this is this has this is, this is horrible. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was getting into, again, because I was, I was burnt out. I was also under the impression that I had no, yeah. So, you know, how can you deal with other people if you don't think that you're right in anything, <laughs> right? So if remember our lesson that, that, that all of your feelings you believe that they are wrong you believe that uh you you don't ever need or deserve to defend yourself about anything so 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 this was me i was uh yeah not really ever standing up for myself of course but also not really able to do very much practical stuff and and really in need of some i think just normal human company but which i w- of course wasn't feeling entitled to <laughs> fun so that's a fun mix of things and of course then i've i've i was required to follow the full temple program which again we never had in Cologne because we opened that thing ourselves, so we could say that the four fifteen in the morning. Yeah, I don't think so. We have to go out and work all day, but in that place it wasn't like that because it wasn't under my control in any way. So, so, so I was required to get up uh, whenever and 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 go to the, you know, and if you didn't, you would immediately get in trouble and. I think it wasn't so much that people would actively speak to you, but people would definitely you would definitely go down on the on the ratings of of people's valuation of of your character, which then affected all sorts of things. So I was I was doing that but then I was also feeling like a zombie for the rest of the time. And then you tried to sleep and then you couldn't sleep and so yeah, and it, well and i have to point out so this was outside of stockholm where in the middle of january it was light for about 3 hours of the day that probably affected me a lot and it was cold and it was people just have the natural desire to to hibernate but of course in that whole environment which is which imagines you're in India you of course you don't hibernate right so my 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 daily schedule was like okay get up at whenever four go to the first prayers try to do all your two hours of rounds chanting which of course didn't work because you need a little sleep before the next part of the program which started at seven fifteen, and then you did all of that, and then I I kind of survived that part of the program well because I was mostly in the back of the room making something. I think I was making jewelry or, or something for the for the for the altar, and then it was breakfast, and then I was supposed to go and do my service, which was uh, be in in the repro, so uh, gluing. Uh, Text to some other something, putting books together. And I was doing that for a few months and then kind of was fired from that. So, so, <laughs> yeah, like personally, the only people that I could really deal with were second-generation kids that were just a few years younger than me. And that became my social circle and we started actually having just normal get-togethers, like parties. That's when I watched The Sound of Music for the first time, and we had a little pita bread buffet, and there were some really, really nice people there, and, and also some families, and I don't know how they perceived me, probably a bit broken, but they were so normal they were teasing me and you know and i i didn't (laughs) cry every time (laughs) and then of course i started falling in love with the one guy there who was just nice and that became a huge problem because of course you know if you don't feel that you're a person who you know, then you can't deal with that stuff anyway. It really changed everything. It really changed how I felt about the authorities who were just horrible because, you know, a horrible boss will always surround themselves with horrible people because nice people can't work for him. Actually, later on, I found out that they had tried to overthrow this guy, but he was just too politically astute and it didn't work. I I also started feeling differently about yeah myself like I think maybe I was I I finally started to develop some social normal social skills again which obviously took years but it was those relationships were really kind and and I mean I remember them being just so normal compared to everything else I had experience since joining, and that was nice. But obviously I couldn't survive there on my own, and so my solution was trying to get married. And if you have a pool of altogether 80 people, out of which you, know, you have to find somebody who you can accept and who doesn't completely hate you, then what happens? then of course people will choose on the basis of something that you really shouldn't choose a life partner for. And so, so at the point, I think half a year in, I had two suitors, of which one was chosen by the temple authorities. Yes, that was going on. That's fairly standard in the Hare Krishna, that somebody else will choose your partner for you. And of course not on the basis of compatibility or anything to benefit you, but of course they would choose it to benefit them. So in this case, it was the young guy from Azerbaijan who had trouble staying in the country. So I was just good enough for my uh, German residency so they would get him a permanent residence permit. And the other one was a Russian who came over on a three month tourist visa because the temple authorities had just, had just bought a build in the next village who they needed people to refurbish. Yeah, so he came over in that group and started writing letters to me. And yeah, so those were my two options of life partner. And the second one became my husband. <laughs> and I can laugh about that now because it's hilarious. But of course it wasn't for many years. And the first one, actually, it was funny because he was he was working on the altar and we actually had, you know, considering he was a monk and everything, he, we had quite a lot of interactions in the kitchen. And he said to me later on that he just hesitated. He wasn't against the idea. Again, we would have talked, you know, people that did have sham marriages, but this would have been, a, you know, a proper thing. Um, and he said I was just hesitating because... You know, you don't just marry somebody who the authorities suggested to you. And then by that time, you know, when he had stopped hesitating, I had already made up my mind and chosen the guy who actually sort of managed to ask me himself. (laughs) So, of course, when we were hanging out with the second generation people, girls mostly, you know, guys were, were always a subject. And it's not just like normal teenage girls talking about guys but you know because in this culture it would be it would determine your social standing and your spiritual standing and everything you know who who you marry so yeah i married a guy nobody knew not just that i didn't know but that nobody really knew and who uh, uh, you know ended up turning out not great but you know in hindsight we'll talk about that later (laughs) so yeah those were those were dark days i mean seriously those were really dark days uh you know to to get just imagine somebody in two thousand and no wait uh, nineteen ninety four ninety five making the kind of decision that marrying somebody who obviously was only out for a residence permit because she doesn't believe that she has any other option or any value to anybody that's pretty bad and so this was uh, this was episode 3 i had planned to do 5 about my weird you know history with that so in the next two episodes i will talk about recovery and how that worked kind of and and uh, Arrive at where I am now. Uh, Thank you for listening.